the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. I just want to uh, welcome listeners to a, a new program of Vatican Insider and a really wonderful guest this week. You will be riveted by Sister Gabriella Botani's uh, story. She's the international coordinator for Talitha Kum, the Catholic Network Against uh, Trafficking, under the auspices of the International Union of Superiors General. And you also may have heard, because February 8th was the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Trafficking, and um, the Holy Father sent a message, and the name Talitha come, came up several times. So anyway, Sister Gabriella, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very glad to be with you today. It's such an important topic. It's just so devastating. But before we go into your actual work, tell us a little bit about Talitha Kom, the name, its, its biblical roots, and, and uh, when and how it was founded. Tzvitakum is an Aramaic word, uh, probably was used by Jesus. Jesus spoke this word to the Jairus' daughter. We find this in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, when uh, he, the, the little girls, the adolescent girl, was lying like that, and uh, when Jesus arrived, uh, he touched uh, her hand, and uh, he said to her, Talita Kum, that it means, little girl, I say to you, stand Arise, up, yes. raise Arise. up, stand up. So this is the power of, uh, of the encounter, the touch, Jesus sure. touching with the words, but also with the hand. And it's so important because what you are doing when you rescue women, young girls from human trafficking, when you do that, you're basically saying to them, rise up again um, to, to find a new life or maybe a life they never even, you know, even had. So that is so significant. Yes, this is very important because uh, they, they, to be close to them, to touch them and to let them to touch ourselves exactly. because there is a, a kind of reciprocity that we need. It's not only us in dialogue with others, but to let people to enter in our heart, to enter in our lives. So the process of change is always a dialogue. Exactly. And you know, sister, I think the whole world has discovered in these two years of, of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, I think we've discovered how much we have missed sometimes being touched. I mean, you know, grandparents weren't even supposed to see their grandchildren the first year. Uh, people were, were never supposed to hug, uh, unless, of course, you're in the same family. So that, that just that physical act of touching someone, of saying welcome, of saying rise, of, of, of asking, how can I help you? It's a very important act for these yeah. people. And I think that uh, when we are missing, we discover the value, but we do not have to forget that Human trafficking is an issue of body, of human body. Yes. And the touch is used also to abuse and to misuse. It, yes. So the issue is very important. We need really to discover the deep value of our life, of our relationship, of the value and the dignity of each person. In that context, the care and the touch, like Jesus show us, is a life-giving touch. Is a not a destroying one. 
And it must be very hard when you work with the victims. You, you've just rescued a woman, several women, young girls, and they have been physically abused by the you know, hands of other people who, who certainly did not love them. And it must be very hard to persuade them to allow somebody else to finally touch them, to touch them with love, with concern, with caring. That has to be a huge step in your helping them to heal. Yes, the, this is important, uh, what you are saying. And I think that the first touch is through our, the way we see the people. Mm -hmm. So the first touch is happening through the eyes. So the way that we look at this person is really the one uh, helping us in renewing trust trusting one each other but also to see the scourge of human trafficking because unfortunately we are speaking still of a hidden crime a very difficult crime to be reported and also to be identified also the people in situation of trafficking and exploitation often it is difficult for them to say yes I am trafficked I am a victim Oh, I, I imagine. I think that there are cases in life when people feel that they did something to deserve that. I know that just in cases of a woman, it can be in a city like Rome or New York or something, a, a woman being raped, there always is a sense of guilt. What did I do to bring this on? And you have to also take care that these people know it's nothing they did. Yes, and this is this feeling. Uh, it, trafficking uh, is entering in, in the dream, in the best wishes of life of people that they desire a better life, they desire a job, sure. they desire to find peace in another place or to provide money for paying the study of their children. And in this process, they see that many people going abroad because still is very much connected with migrations flow. And then they see that others were able to do that. And when they arrive and find themselves in exploitative situation without losing their freedom and their dignity, they ask, what did I do yeah. wrong? What happened? Why it happens with me? Exactly. Because the pressure is often also very strong from the family that in many sure. cases they invested also to send people abroad. So it's really a very complicated, also from the psychological perspective. Now, Sister, was this uh, founded, this was founded specifically, obviously, to fight human trafficking, but was this a group of people, was it a group of sisters specifically, who said, wait a minute, nobody seems to be doing anything on this, we have to do this? The more I'm trying to understand the story of Talita Kum, the more it's difficult for me to identify who started, because it's like a process who started from different parts, ah. where, um, okay, we are looking at the, in the perspective of religious sisters, but let me say that religious sisters working at the grassroots in the fields with women in sexual exploitation or in a situation of vulnerability of trafficking at the at the end of the 20th century, so in the, 90, in the 90s, to, yes. to tell you more or less a, per a period of time, uh, they started to recognize uh, this new element of exploitation of vulnerabilities, con mostly in, in Europe, but not only. And they started to reflect on this uh, topic. And uh, 
There was a kind of dialogue between the sisters at the grassroots and the leadership of women religious in the church based here at the International Union of Superior General. Oh, sure. Yes. So, and in in 2001, the, the sisters working in the Justice and Peace Commission were asked to report to the International Union of General Superior Plenary uh, about these issues. And at the end of that assembly, uh, the General Superior gathered in Rome decided to promote collaboration. That was, let me say, the kickoff, right. let me say like that, yeah. to improve collaboration. From that experience, networks like Akrat in Australia or sure. Kathy in French-speaking Canada started, but also reflection and project throughout uh, many parts of the world. Oh, absolutely. And you have a wonderful map of this on the site. Yes. And it's talithacum.com. And it's just an amazing site when you go by continent and they yes. break it down into groups. Some are called talithacum. Others have, have their own names. And I know that, for example, in the United States, we have the U.S. Catholic Sisters um, Against uh, Human Trafficking. Let me tell you something about the U.S. Catholic Sisters. Uh, they joined Telitacum in 2014. However, their commitment against human trafficking, it's very much, be they started before that. before that. So that was interesting because during this journey, at a certain point, we realized that all was created locally. We needed to gather together to sure. have a kind of stronger sharing and working together. Right. And in 2009, there was a big meeting, and at the end of this meeting, the sisters coming from all over the world, they asked to UASG to have an office, and they suggested to give the name Talitakum. So that was oh, yes. is a, what we call is a bottom-up process. We, we started with the grassroots, the exactly. grassroots yes. and we are really grassroots. You mentioned the word training. What are the training courses like? Training courses is, uh, let me say, pastoral oriented. We try to connect uh, the um, university knowledge with the grassroots knowledge because uh, we need to, to join them to support the sisters that they are willing to start a service in anti-trafficking or that they need support because they are working with group at risk of trafficking like migrants people okay. or in uh. region where people are recruited or for example sisters that are in places where after people were recruited they come back and they are deported back in their own country. We have different models of training. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is the training for building new networks. Now we have uh, we concluded two training for uh, sisters uh, and brothers because more and more also religious and lay people are joining us, and they are uh, in um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And we are working in collaboration when, with the Tangaza University College and, uh, of course, the sisters. Now we have very good trained sisters, so we are also training, we train other religious sisters. So we are empowering also Thank the voice and the role of religious sisters in this field. Now, when someone or several women or young people are found rescued fr from trafficking, What's the first thing you do? And, and how are they reinserted into society? The process is a long-term process. So the first thing is to 
make people feeling that they are in a situation where they can that they feel uh, safe and that somebody cares for them and that yeah. somebody cares for them that they have food to eat then mm -hmm. they cook their own food that they can have uh, clean uh, beds clean clothes to wear a place where they can take a shower someone caring for their health so bringing them to the doctor, to the hospital sure. for a global check-in. So the first is the basic needs. And this is the first step also to develop a trust relationship. Sure. Because only if we are able to develop a trust relationship, we are able also to accompany them sure. throughout the journey. St. Hildegard of Bingen was a mystic, an abbess, a botanist, a saint, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Hildegard had her first visions at the age of three, which she called the Shade of the Living Light. She later wrote about them in works declared by St. Bernard of Clairvaux to be from God. Pope Benedict XVI agreed when he named her only one of four Doctors of the Church who are women in 2012. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Sister Gabriella Bonatti, International Coordinator of Talitha Kum, a global Catholic network against human trafficking. I'd love you to tell us a little more about the February 8th day-long marathon, whatever, an online event. February 8th is the day, not only Josephine Bakita's feast day, but it is the day when every year we mark this annual day of prayer and awareness against human trafficking. So tell us what happened on the 8th. That was amazing. I am always surprised by the richness of the commitment of many people. I think that celebrating a day, having a day to celebrate, to pray together, is also a day to, to celebrate the feast of life because uh, we the last word is not the violence the last word is not the death right. but should be the hope the life exactly. the dignity of every person exactly. and we need it to strengthen one each other so the february 8 uh, i i remember that was my first task when i arrived in rome in 2015 but i had the possibility to let me say, to see the growth of this uh, event in these eight years. Pope Francis is always uh, sharing a message, accepting uh, the invitation for a meeting, for or, a something, meeting yeah. or something. Yeah, he's always really present for this event. And in last year, we started to invent something new and said, let us share online a, a global uh, a worldwide prayer uh, embracing exactly. uh, from east to west. 
the world from the south to the north. And this idea of marathon came out and this year we celebrated also the second marathon of prayer and we received contribution from the organization's partner of uh, the of the marathon, of course, uh, Telitacum Networks throughout the world, but also Caritas Internationalis, right. the World Union of Catholic Women Organization, the Focolari Movement, and other organization partners gathered and sent. Con it was really amazing. And this, uh, the special uh, issue of this year is the participation of the youth, the Telitacum uh, Youth Ambassadors. They started a kind of movement of youth that they Good. are working to raise awareness among other youth and some are sending songs and they find a language that is touching the, the young generation because they are the one targeted by traffickers. So it's really a contagious like we saw the covid you no know, that is yes. but there is also a good that is contagious and that when we can really spread out uh, a new mentality and this is for me a, a deep sign of hope i saw something and you just said the word that's important wells of hope uh, on your website this is a christian and muslim women working together against trafficking in the, so it's the Talitha Kum network in the Middle East. Just a few words about that. Like mm. it happened in this year, sometimes we are blessed and the Holy Spirit, I, I experienced many times that the Holy Spirit is uh, leading us. And that was one of the experience, uh, how women of different faith were able to come together around one common good that it is to raise awareness and also to support the journey of many women, boys and men and girls uh, that are suffering uh, due of, uh, of the violation of, uh, of many um, of the human, of rights, the human sure. rights, but particularly on human trafficking. Yes. Yes, exactly. it's really amazing to see women, Catholic, uh, Orthodox, uh, Shia, Sunni, Halawites, Druze exactly. working together. Thank the Lord, really, because it's not limited to a religion, for sure. So mm. we have to have everybody's involvement. Now, you know, Sister, as we, of course, have, have met before uh, and, and interviewed in pre-COVID times, but the one question that comes to anybody's lips as you're studying human trafficking or as you're just having a conversation with someone is, and this was such a firm question for me, why is it so hard to find the traffickers and close down their networks. Now, as I had prepared that question and I was reviewing your work and your website, I came across something that really took my breath away. These were remarks you made at the 2020 OCSE conference, and that's the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And here's what you said, I have to quote this. When we sisters meet victims, we normally do not ask many questions. We know we have to listen to the stories many, many times before the person is able to share the true story. Trust must be stronger than fear, stronger than threats, stronger than shame. The person must be able to tell the raw, violent truth and be able to bear its psychological burden. So we, we, not, we listen to the pain, the broken dreams, the violence, and we share their hopes and courage. And yet, interestingly enough, this is the part that blew my mind. In many instances, when these stories are reported to the police, somehow they never seem to be enough. 
It seems it's not sufficient to show the scars or describe the places or give the names. But it may sound like a paradox, but to be recognized as a victim is hard work. When we deal with the bureaucratic legal procedures, we are usually confronted with the main stumbling block of proving that the trafficked persons are not guilty of other crimes. And, and you went on and said a little more. But I just sat back in my chair and I thought, what do you people, what do you police need? But you they, know, yeah. when, when you go and report, uh, you need somehow to prove. Yeah. And this is uh, the the issues of the the proof, the burden of the burden of the proof, is on on the responsibility of the traffic person. So you can tell the things, and many people denounce, but then is the voice of the traffic person and the voice of the exploiters and the voice. And if you do not have really how to prove that, so we need to um, improve investigation mm. that they are not only on the responsibility of the victims. We need to find different ways. This is one of the sure. main issues. And it's making many people saying, I remember when I was in Brazil, many people were saying, sister, I do not report anymore. Because if I report, nothing Nobody will believes happen. me. Yeah. Nobody believes me. Often the criminal organization, they have very strong uh, juridical support, lawyer, right. well-paid lawyer, and these people are often lost in the complexity. And often maybe they are also without uh, document because they are uh, undocumented migrants. So there is a kind of complexity a legal and legal and, procedures right. that are not making the journey of these people so the access to justice and the commitment of governments in many parts of the world to take over also um, the investigation in a different way. I think that it is one of the big issues of right. anti-trafficking today. Well. I mean, the work you're doing is it needs nothing short of a daily miracle, really, just to save, to save one soul. And I do know the numbers are, uh, of trafficked people are staggering. And I did discover a site, um, the United Nations Office, if I remember this correctly, the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crimes. And I saw some of the statistics and, and pie charts and everything else that they had w with the numbers. And it just makes the mind real with the, with the quantity of people that are in slavery today. Yes, it's always um, the, the official statistics are based on uh, the, um, the cases that they are identified and recognized as uh, cases of trafficking. But uh, again, uh, the reality, the hidden reality is, uh, is much more. Oh, yes. And it depends also, again, the fact that many people are not recognized, they do not enter into the statistics. Right. So it's always difficult to give real numbers. We have some like attendance, we have uh, uh, the reported cases, we are able to identify some indicators, but really is well, one of the issues that is we are struggling with because oh, of sure. the complexity. Uh, but I mean, even the numbers that you do have, they are without a doubt 
probably the proverbial, just the tip of the iceberg. It's what we don't see, and the numbers yeah. of the of those yet to be to be rescued. Sister, what can we, what can citizens do to help? I, I mean, if if there's anything. Yes. First of all, I invite you to to check uh, in in your country if there are some organization that they are working and get in contact with them to know more about trafficking uh, in in your context to support of course uh, the support the financial support uh, is right. important uh, and you have to remember that uh, the healing process is really a long term we are leading with people suffering torture suffering violence and it is not really easy to uh, it is not a short time issue. Then, of course, uh, the mentality change is very important. And oh, this is yes. true education. So I think that many people are working in education. We can invent something. We can uh, work with students. We can raise awareness. We can organize also in the parishes to, to pray. The International Day of Prayer was for many people a starting point to open to open their eyes about the reality of trafficking and many right. discovered that it was in their neighborhood. It was not yes. far away. And in, we had beautiful stories like people that were able to find a way, that were able to report their situation because in the parish church, the priest spoke about that and the mother heard and the daughter was uh, traveling and in, in a situation of trafficking, the girl wow. sent the information to the mom and the mom went to the parish priest and the parish priest called Talitakum and Talitakum was a... So this kind yeah. of, um, you know, the more we are able to be network with the good, exactly. the better. Because traffickers are very good network, but we are very strong. We have really people of goodwill. We are many. We can do a lot. Like you said, they're they're well organized. They're well financed. They have lawyers. So, whatever they have, uh, Talitha come and all of the associations have to have more somehow. But we have one thing they don't uh, have, and that would be faith that people can be rescued, and hope in a future, and just prayer, as you said. So, Sister Gabriella, we're getting right here towards the end of our time, and. I want to thank you for your time today. I know you're still getting over the February 8th celebrations, so, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you, and I would like to, to remind you that you are in the U.S., that uh, our network is the U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking is yes. the U.S.-based uh, Telitacum Network. Sister, God bless you. God bless all the sisters who work with you, and we will pray every day that one more trafficked victim will be found rescued and loved. So thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.